footwork is a big part of tennis. I think if you can improve your footwork, that improves your overall game from your serve to your forehand to your backhand to your volley. I think everything starts with your feet. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Uh, my name is Mirban Iranshad, and I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, definitely a lot has happened since the last podcast. In particular, I went to uh, Atlanta, Georgia last weekend for the International uh, Tennis Performance Association's uh, World Tennis Fitness Conference, uh, and it was really fantastic. I really appreciate uh, Dr. Mark Kovacs and Mary Jo uh, Kovacs putting on a really fantastic event, and I met so many amazing uh, tennis professionals specific to the uh, fitness uh, area of tennis. Uh, I mean, there were physicians there, there were uh, orthopedic surgeons, uh, physical trainers, uh, a lot of tennis coaches. Uh, shout out to uh, to Mike Baker and Blake Mosley. Uh, those guys are really cool. We hung out uh, Saturday night, went to a random uh, ribs place in Atlanta that turned out to be pretty good, even though we were uh, surprised at where we ended up. But anyways, yeah, it was just really a, a great time. And I learned so much from all the great speakers there. It was nice uh, meeting up with uh, Dominic King, who I had on the podcast as well a few episodes back. Uh, and I even met Gil Reyes, uh, Reyes who was uh, Agassiz's uh, fitness coach. I think he still is. And uh, just incredible, again, to just hear all the great minds there. And I learned so much. And I really appreciate all the speakers and participants there. Uh, but today I've got a great episode for you guys uh, with Dennis Novikov. Um, I pretty much just uh, followed him on Instagram and, and saw his awesome pictures and just uh, sent him a you know, message and asked him to be on the show and he uh, kindly obliged. Um, and so funny enough, my uh, dad and I met him last year at the end of a uh, Washington Castles match where the Orange County Breakers were visiting D.C. And so we uh, met Dennis in the elevator, uh, garage elevator, and uh, definitely, you know, nice nice guy and great player. So let's hit up the interview. Why not, right? So let's not waste any more time. Not that what I just talked about was a waste at all, but um, all right. So here is uh, my interview with Dennis Novikov. Hey everyone, welcome to the Tennis Files podcast. It is my uh, great honor to uh, introduce Dennis Novikov, who is a professional tennis player on the ATP Tour. He's also a former UCLA Bruin. Uh, Dennis has been ranked as high as 119 on the ATP Tour, uh, and he's reached, uh, he actually just last week reached the quarterfinals of the uh, Newport ATP 250 event last week, which is uh, pretty awesome. Uh, Dennis was born in Moscow and I believe uh, resides in California. Is that right, Dennis? Uh, yeah, that's correct. Okay. I reside in California right now. Cool, cool. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, last year, uh, my dad and I uh, met Dennis briefly at a garage uh, elevator uh, after uh, Dennis and the Orange County Breakers played the Washington Castles uh, last year. So that was uh, pretty neat to meet Dennis. But uh, Dennis, just really uh, want to thank you for taking some time out of your day to uh, to be a guest on the podcast. Yeah, great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, anytime, Dennis. So I just wanted to start off by asking you what your first memory uh, is of uh, actually hitting a tennis ball. Uh, you know, I, 
don't really remember my first time. Um, my first time was when I was very little, probably about two or three years old. Uh, my older brother played, so I was kind of always around the court and whatnot. But my earliest memories of playing tennis was kind of just at the local park uh, near my house where I kind of grew up in uh, Redwood Shores, California, and just kind of hitting there and uh, also being a member of this club called the Pacific Athletic Club and just being probably about five, six, seven years old and just going to practice after school and sometimes even before school coming in and hitting for about an hour or so. It's pretty neat that your brother also played tennis. I mean, did he end up playing for a while and like, you know, push you uh, to be better as well? Yeah, uh, my brother played college. Uh, He played at UC Davis, so he never played professionally, but he obviously was, he's much older than I, and he kind of always was ahead of me for a good amount of time. Awesome. Yeah, it's great to have somebody like that in your life. And so did you uh, also play other sports or activities uh, as a youngster as well? Yeah, uh, I was enrolled into a lot of different sports. I did gymnastics, I did swimming, I did karate, boxing. Uh, I probably played ice hockey for the most for most of it. Uh, I'd say about maybe six six years or so, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, I think that's just kind of my parents threw me into a little bit of everything and just to get my overall athleticism. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, because you do have a lot of players who uh, decide to just, I guess, quote unquote, specialize really early. And so they don't play any sports other than tennis. But uh, lately, a lot of uh, tennis professionals uh, talk about the importance of uh, playing other sports. So how do you think playing those other sports helped you uh, in your tennis game? Uh, I mean, I think specifically hockey really helped my back end because uh, I play lefty hockey and I also bat and golf lefty. So I think that really improved my back end from the standpoint, which has always been a solid shot of mine. But I think just in general, the aspect of all the other sports, they're such great core sports that they not only help the sports that they're in, but also just in general life and just kind of everything that it encompasses. Yeah, that's definitely a great point, uh, Dennis. I guess one of our favorite players up in Washington is uh, Alexander Ovechkin. But uh, just curious if you have a favorite hockey player of yours. Uh, I'm a big fan of Ovechkin. Uh, I like Crosby, but I follow the Sharks mainly. So I'm a, I grew up in the Bay Area. So I'm kind of a Bay Area fan of all the sports there. Yeah, that makes sense. So, and uh, at what point did you actually start uh, thinking or dreaming of becoming a professional tennis player? Uh, personally, I think probably just before college, maybe a couple of years before college, I thought, figured uh, I could probably be a professional. I didn't think, I mean, when I was younger, I don't think many people think when they're 10, 11 years old that that's a viable career or maybe they want to be a professional athlete, but they didn't know specifically what. Um, but when I was probably a few years before college, I decided that I actually had a kind of a shot at doing it and making a career out of it. That's awesome, uh, Dennis. And so, you know, you're obviously fairly young in your uh, low 20s, but uh, did you have any uh, any particular role mo- models uh, growing up that uh, inspired you to be better in tennis? Uh, I'd say my brother. Uh, obviously, my parents. I mean, my dad coached me, so... I mean, obviously, I grew up with him, him coaching me, but my brother, who's older, and he played tennis, so I think I always kind of wanted to be a bit like him. 
Yeah, that's great to uh, to have such strong, uh, you know, figures in your life that are from your family. But and so you mentioned your dad. Uh, does he? Because he was listed uh, on the ITF side as your coach. Does he still coach you now? Yeah, he coached me from when I started playing tennis, and now he still coaches me. So I've kind of stayed. He's been my constant coach throughout the years. Oh, that's great. And um, so now I'm just going to ask you about uh, your junior career, because obviously, you know, that's where you started developing. But I was wondering, uh, you know, what sorts of uh, like pressures did you feel as a junior? Because, you know, it can be tough as a, uh, you know, a young boy or man to uh, to compete uh, in the face of all the rankings points and, and sponsorships and things like that. Uh, I mean, obviously, Everyone has pressure, uh, whether you're competing for in the juniors or as a professional or in anything you're really doing. But I didn't really, I wouldn't say I had particularly pressures as a junior, but I guess I was expected to win. And obviously everyone, all the hours I put into practice, everyone would like to see a positive outcome from that. So, I mean, I obviously did my best to win. And apart from that, there's not much else I could control. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good good uh, neutral outlook there. And so, at uh, at what point did you start, uh, you know, dominating or being in like the top five of your age group and things like that? Like, what age were you about? Um, I mean, in Northern California, I won like my twelve sectionals excellence uh, when I was like eleven, I believe. When I was twelve, I won the fourteens. Um, I always kind of played up a division. Uh, I didn't stay in my age category until the very last the day until I aged out like a lot of other players. Uh, my dad believed that I should play, compete against kind of the better competition, which was the older kids at the time. So I, I never really stayed until the last day until I aged out. So I kind of was always in the top 10, 20, um, and e- even higher sometimes. I've won tournaments and stuff, but I don't know. I've kind of always been really good, but I've never been like uh, the outright number one best always right yeah no i mean that makes sense to always push yourself and stuff but like you said it's kind of hard to be top ranked if you're playing like older players of course but uh it definitely obviously worked out for you um did you train at any particular academies as a junior and if so how did they uh, help your game out uh i didn't particularly train at any academies uh i mean i, I definitely visited some academies uh, but not never like it was fully like enrolled or kind of went there on a constant basis. It was kind of more I would visit for like a week or two and kind of just uh, more as like hitting and sparring kind of situation. Oh, that's great. I mean, that, you know, because uh, some people are under the perception that you have to be at a, a club, you know, all the time and stuff. But it sounds like you, uh, you know, picked and ch- uh, choose when you when that would be helpful for you. So that's great. Um, so for for our junior players out there, I mean, in your opinion, because uh, you actually, you know, played it, I guess, not too long ago. What do you think is the key to being a successful uh, player in the juniors? Um, honestly, I don't think necessarily that being a successful junior translates to being a successful pro, mm-hmm. but I think you should use your junior career as a springboard and kind of as a development to further your career down the line. I think a lot of the a lot of people are hung up on your results as a junior, and they think that dictates how good you will be in the future. Which it is in some cases it does. It is true, but not in most cases. A lot of cases people develop at different 
at different rates. Some people peak earlier, some people peak later on once they figure out their game style. So I think it's just a, a continuous drive to improve your game. Yeah, very well put, Dennis, because obviously a lot of players are really, again, like focused on the results and trying to win. But when uh, if you really want to maximize your uh, potential, you should be thinking long term and what you need to develop, like uh, you said. So that's awesome. Yeah. Also, one more thing on that point. Um, I think especially when I was younger, a lot of juniors that actually did win and et cetera, a lot of them aren't around anymore, but they won by just putting the ball in the court and kind of like, I guess, so to speak, pushing the ball. Mm-hmm. and I was always taught to hit the ball, kind of be aggressive, and that's actually really tough when you're 12, 13, 14 years old. You don't have the strength behind it, and you make a lot of errors. Mm-hmm. But I think for the future, I think that was really good for me um, just because I learned that from such an early age. But that's, I, I guess that's the thing. I guess good juniors kind of just put the ball in, but for the future development, I think it's better to learn how to be aggressive from the start. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I mean, we had a uh, Tyler Liu is a recent Yale graduate and had some success uh, very recently. And he said that his coach, when he was around 14, uh, just told him to hit the ball as hard as he could. And uh, everyone thought he was crazy, but it uh, obviously it ended up working out for him. You had like a, obviously a really sick experience in Kalamazoo, uh, sick being good, of course, where you won both the uh, 18 singles and doubles titles. Uh, so can you just kind of talk about that experience? Yeah, uh, I mean, Kalamazoo, I've played it probably four or five times before that. Um, so I think I won it. I played the 16s, then I played the 18s. I probably won it on my second or third time I played the 18s. But, I mean, the experience just going through the full tournament, getting... Actually, I think that was my first two gold balls that I ever won. Wow. Um getting those and then getting a wild turn to the U S open. It was kind of like a surreal moment. Um, and I had been in college already for about a quarter then. And so I kind of was, I was already kind of like prepared for that. And it was kind of either I wanted or it would be kind of a bust if I didn't. Mm. So I came into those that week, super focused and then it paid off. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's really fantastic that you, you know, you said that you, you did kind of put pressure on yourself to win, but at the same time, when it came down to the match, you were focused. So, cause a lot of players, they, they focus on winning, uh, you know, like they think about winning while they're playing too. And, and you're kind of focused more on the execution part. So that's great. Um, and we'll touch upon, you know, your, awesome result uh you know because i guess you got like a uh, wild card into the u.s open but i want to just go to your experience with ucla so i mean did you consider going pro before uh before joining the bruins yeah uh i thought about going pro um since a lot of other people went pro at the same time as me when i chose to go to college but ultimately i made the decision to go to college because i was young going there i was 18 mm-hmm. so i was fairly young um i also thought obviously sports there's injuries etc and if i did go to college for a little bit i would have the option to ever if i ever wanted to to return and i think that kind of gave me a backup plan just in case something doesn't go right uh but luckily i've been healthy uh and hopefully i stay that way but mm-hmm. I kind of matured during those few years that I went, and I think that overall helped my tennis game. 
That's fantastic, uh, Dennis, because my next question for you was what improvements did you make in your game during your time at UCLA? And so, I mean, obviously you said uh, physically, but uh, were there any other particular things that you improved upon uh, because you went to college? Yeah, I mean, physically, but I think just my maturity level in general. Mm. Um, I mean, the average age in the top 100 uh, 10 years ago was much lower than it is these days. Mm-hmm. So I didn't think that a year, I didn't I didn't think that a year or two would uh, affect me in a negative way. I thought it would be only a positive actually, because then I'd go pro when I'm about 20 years old, 21 years old. If I went for a couple of years, and I decided that's what I decided to do, and I think that ultimately was a good decision. Yeah, for sure, Dennis. I'm glad you got to to go there, and uh, you know, there's some great players who've gone to UCLA, of course, uh, like Mackey's playing right now um, in the pros, but. Uh, just curious, you know, like if you didn't go to UCLA, what other schools might you have possibly gone to? Uh, I mean, I had other options. I mean, I could have gone to USC, UVA, Wake, Ohio. Um, I guess primarily, I guess, I guess I kind of had my choice because I was, I was a top player as a junior, but I ultimately kind of just decided on, um, like a good tennis school that had good academics as well. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It's a great school for sure. And so, I mean, what, uh, what ultimately made you leave UCLA after two years? Was it like a one particular event or result or was it just kind of like time for you to, to leave based on your totality Uh, of your experiences? Yeah. I mean, I think it was just time for me to leave and kind of take, I guess, take my ability to the pro circuit. Um, I played for two years for UCLA and it was an amazing experience. Um, I thought that I had matured well physically and mentally and that I kind of was ready to play a full schedule on the tour. That's awesome. And so was there any particular moment uh, as a Bruin that you can remember, like, I guess your most memorable moment uh, as a Bruin? Uh, there There was a lot of moments. I mean, I only played for two years, but we were such a dominant and top team then. Um, I mean, we made the finals of NCAAs my second year, which was really amazing. We were very close to winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we won the Pac-12 as well in, in Ojai and the season. My freshman year, we beat SC, which we gave them their only loss at SC, which was pretty cool. Mm. Um, yeah, there's just a lot of moments throughout my college career that I really enjoyed. That's fantastic. Um, and Dennis, so obviously we talked about you winning uh, at Kalamazoo, your 18s and singles, doubles titles. And so I, I believe you got a, a direct entry into the uh, US Open because of that. And so, you know, most people who are given direct entries because they won a tournament, they, they lose in the first round. But you actually won both your singles and doubles uh, first round matches. So can you kind of talk about uh, that experience? Yeah. Um... Actually, before that, I hadn't known that that many people win their first round uh, after winning Kalamazoo and getting a wild card. Hmm. Uh, so I'm really glad I could able was able to take advantage of that. But, I mean, I kind of came into the U.S. Open with just really nothing to lose. Um, I mean, I didn't play Roger or Nadal or one of the top guys, so it was pretty much... I actually had a chance of winning. I mean, hmm. at the time, obviously, those guys were unreal. So I played uh, Jersey Janowitz, mm-hmm. who was a very good player. But I kind of came out, nothing to lose. And when that happens, 
you never know what could happen. And I, on that day, I played pretty much lights out. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, it's also kind of interesting that in your doubles uh, match at Kalamazoo, I guess it's it looks like three fourths of the the players were uh, Bruins. I guess you had well, obviously Redlicky and then uh, uh, Mackie, right? So that was I guess that's, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, actually, it was uh, Redlicky didn't go to UCLA though. His I played with the older brother uh, oh, Michael. I got you. And he went to he went to Duke, uh, and his younger brother. Martin plays for UCLA now. So it was just me and Aki in the final. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Cool. Um, so obviously it's always inspiring to hear about uh, player success as well as, you know, tough times. So, I mean, what what has been, in your opinion, the toughest uh, time for you in your pro career and how have you been able to overcome it? Uh, I don't know. There's, there's lots of ups and downs on the pro circuit. Um, I mean, there's only one winner at the end of each week, every tournament. So luckily, I think me, I've kind of, when I turned pro, I kind of was on a steady path kind of up. I never had too many downs. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe at the end of a couple of years ago, I was, I didn't really have a great year. And at the end of the year, I won two futures in a row. And I kind of boosted my ranking to close out the year. Um, I don't know. You just have to... You, you have to stay positive in professional tennis because there's a lot of adversity and a lot of players, everyone is good and everyone can play. So you will have weeks where you don't play well, you get bad draws. There's many factors that can go into it. So you just kind of have to stay tough through it and just keep being positive and putting in the work in and believe that that will get you to the next step. Yeah, that's for sure. Definitely really uh, inspiring advice there. Uh, appreciate that, Dennis. And so obviously you've, you've played the juniors, uh, college, and the uh, pro tour, but what do you think is the biggest difference between the, the college uh, and the pro game? Uh, honestly, I'd say, first of all, physicality. Um, that's the main thing. Uh, the pros are a lot more fit than the college guys. Um, I'd also say just the consistency. Uh, I think that's, that's relevant to whether the top 20 players, the top 50, the top 100, and the top 200. I think what separates them is just the consistency of the results week in and week out. And that kind of stems down to uh, even deeper level on every single point. Uh, the top guys don't give anything away, whereas the guy who's 100 will give a little bit more away, and et cetera, going down the list. Yeah, no, I appreciate that that advice there. It's very interesting. And and so obviously, you know, you've played uh several years on the tour, um uh, and you've done very well. But what are some things that you might have changed uh in your training maybe over the past few years based on your experiences? Uh definitely I've been working on my speed and agility. Um I think that's for me the biggest factor. Uh it's continuing to improve every day. Uh, I think from a strength standpoint, I'm really well off. So I think once I improve my speed and agility, I've tailored kind of my exercises towards that more. I think that'll really improve my game. That's fantastic. Um, and, and do you do like, uh, for, for speed and agility, do you do like plyometrics? Is that what you you do for that? Uh, I mean, definitely some plyometrics, but a lot of sprint work, kind of a cones, uh, kind of like resistance work with bands, 
there's just a ton of exercises that you can use to improve it. Awesome. That's great. That's great. Appreciate that insight. And so I'm a little curious about your opinion just on, cause obviously like the, uh, the tours are trying to change the pro game a bit and make it to, to shorten matches. And I think they're going to use a time clock or something like that in, in the, uh, the open, at least the quality. So, I mean, what's your opinion on, on those sorts of, uh, changes they're trying to make? Yeah. Um, actually from the standpoint of a time clock, I would love that. Um, I think a lot of guys spend too much time between points and I don't think that it's accurately enforced. I mean, I think some referees, umpires will enforce it. Some won't. Some are more lenient than others. I think with a time clock, everyone can see how much time you have left and there's no kind of like discussion about it, about how much time you have or how much time you spent. So I think that's actually a good change. Yeah, I guess I'll have to agree with you there because obviously, you know, like people try to be nice in some areas and others, you know, it's a subjective thing if you don't have a clock and uh, out there. So there's perceived inequities. So I, I definitely hear what you're saying there. Um, so we're obviously, uh, you know, the fans and listeners are really interested in the routines of elite athletes such as yourself. So we hope to take away some of that. So if you don't mind, uh, uh, do you mind uh, just walking us through like a typical day uh, in the life of Dennis Novikov uh, on non-tournament days? Uh, non-tournament days, usually I'll be training. I'll wake up in the morning, have some breakfast, go for kind of a light jog, warm up kind of exercise just to get my day going, go to the gym, warm up, practice, uh, have lunch, head out to warm up again, practice again, fitness after, uh, then 5, 6 p.m., get ready for dinner. Uh, then after, I'm a big TV watcher, so <laughs> I like to just kind of relax at the end of the day and kind of wind down and just let my body just kind of rest from the day. So nothing too spectacular, but it keeps the same kind of routine and same thing going every day gotcha that's cool and so is there a particular type of breakfast that you that that's your go-to uh i'm a big fan of eggs and avocado Mm. um i'd say that's probably my go-to nice nice with some bread or something yeah bread and definitely some iced coffee with it Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, I'm into the cold brew these days. Um, but, uh, and so obviously you mentioned, uh, you do fitness is like, uh, towards the end of your day. Um, I'm really curious about kind of the breakdown, uh, cause you, obviously you mentioned your focus is, um, agility and speed, but what's the breakdown between like strength, speed, agility, power, and, and endurance that you do like in your fitness sessions? Uh, I'm not sure if there'd be a specific breakdown for a specific session. I'd say I'd say alternate days most more so. Gotcha. Actually, like doing everything in one day. Mm-hmm. I guess I'd have like a speed agility day. I'd have a strength and a power day, um, and I'd kind of rotate it. But I wouldn't usually throw in everything in the same session. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Like doing a full thing like for seven days straight would be tough. But um. About like the uh, strength and power, can you give us maybe like uh, a couple exercises that that you do that maybe we could uh, possibly incorporate in our routines? Uh, I'd say from a power and strength standpoint, deadlifts are great, cleans, Hmm. uh, squats. I'd say those probably the three most. 
Nice, nice. That's awesome. And so, do you you just do like traditional uh, deadlifts, cleans, and squats with with uh, the barbell? Uh, do you, do you use like any bands or anything with that? No, usually just the barbell. Gotcha, gotcha. That's cool. That's cool. And uh, you know, again, sorry to dive deep, but like as far as your uh, set and rep scheme, what are you generally doing for those? Um, depends whether I'm going for more endurance standpoint, mm-hmm. I do more reps. If I'm going for more of a power, uh, definitely less reps, one, two, three reps. It just depends what the, what I'm doing that specific day. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's awesome. Appreciate that. And so uh, another question for you, uh, obviously. So I, I was at a tennis fitness conference, uh, put together by the International Tennis Performance Association, uh, and, uh, Riley Opelka was a guest there which is pretty cool. And I asked him about what he uh, consumes during uh, matches. And he mentioned that he doesn't use uh, gel packs or any special drinks other than Gatorade. But I'm curious about what you uh, eat and drink uh, during a match. Yeah, I mean, usually water or Gatorade. Uh, from an eating standpoint, uh, usually buy some bars, uh, depending on depending on where I am and what I can get, uh, the bars kind of change, but something mm-hmm. that kind of keeps my energy up throughout the match. Gotcha. Gotcha. Any, uh, what type of bars do you usually have is like cliff bars or something like that? Yeah. Like cliff bars or something similar. Uh, I mean, it just depends on where I am. And sometimes you can't get cliff bars if you're in different countries. Yeah, no, that's true. And, uh, a lot of uh, people as of late, I guess in many different, uh, sports fields, uh, meditate and, and do yoga and stuff. But do you uh, do you meditate or do yoga at all? Uh, I currently don't meditate or do yoga. Um, I've had some friends that are trying to get me into meditating, mm-hmm. so I've tried it a few times, but it hasn't become a daily routine for me. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I, Riley said that he uh, doesn't have the attention span for that, but uh, I can't help in some cases. So that's cool. And so another interesting thing. Uh, not to keep talking about Riley, but he said that he intakes uh, his caloric intake is about eight to ten thousand calories, which is like uh, eye popping for many non professional athletes. At least um, I know Phelps does something like that. Uh, but do you do you track your caloric intake? And if so, I mean, how many calories are you consuming a day? Yeah, I think I heard Phelps takes like fourteen thousand when he was winning all his gold medals. Jesus. I'm not sure if that's exactly the right number, but I think that's. I thought that was pretty insane. But yeah. I don't track my caloric intake. I mean, I do track what I eat, but not necessarily exactly the amounts of calories of everything. Gotcha. And so, like, how many meals about are you? I guess we can include snacks. Like, how many times do you eat a, a day about? Uh, I'd probably say four to five times. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Uh, you mentioned you're a big uh, TV guy. Any, any particular shows that you're watching? Uh, I'm a big Suits fan. Love mm. Suits. Um, I started watching a show called Queen of the South recently. Mm. Uh, Ballers. Um, I mean, I've watched Breaking Bad, etc. Like all the main shows, Game of Thrones, which just mm. came back on this week. So yeah. that's that's pretty exciting. Nice. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a lawyer, so I, I like the Suits uh, mentioned there. It's cool. Um, and so. You know, one thing that kind of is really tough for players, I mean, you've done pretty well, but it's the finances, you know, I mean, obviously, like, ITF tournaments don't, like, pay out a ton if you're not uh, getting to the end. I mean, even then, it's tough. Uh, 
on people. But I mean, how challenging has it been for you to sustain your career from a financial standpoint? Uh, you know, I've been really fortunate to have parents that support my career. Uh, my mom and dad have done everything for me to be able to chase my dream and play professional tennis. So I, I, if it wasn't for them, I don't think it'd obviously be possible. Um, being a professional tennis player obviously takes a lot of money and time, which not everyone has. Um, but I think that now that I'm starting to do well, I can kind of start supporting myself. Um, so I'm very thankful to my parents for being able to let me do what I love to do. Yeah, for sure. Shout out to the Novikovs there uh, for you know the passion and support uh, for Dennis. That's great. When you uh, when you were still 18, and I think in college, and and you uh, you played in the U.S. Open. Uh, I'm just curious if you don't mind answering. Uh, if not, no worries. But like, did you? I guess you weren't able to take the money for the U.S. Open. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. You can only just take your expenses. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, I'm just curious about that. Um, and uh, fans always love uh, talking about equipment. I, I actually interviewed like a Babolat rep and Wilson rep on the show previously. But uh, curious about what type of racket and strings and also tension that you use. Uh, I use the Babolat Pure Storm. Uh, right. I use Natural Gut and Hurricane Mix. And my tension varies anywhere from like 50 to 60 pounds, just depending on where I am. And where I'm playing. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, because I just switched the pure Arrow VS. Babla was kind of send me some of those sticks, and uh, that's I think that's a reincarnation of the Storm. I think so. Uh, yeah, it's definitely a great stick. Um, oh, what are three books that you'd recommend uh, tennis players to to read to uh, to improve their games? Um, honestly, I'm not a big uh, tennis book reader. Um. I do read a lot of books, but I kind of read more kind of autobiographies from, I guess, other sports. Uh, like I read the Ronda Rousey book. Mm. Uh, I read the Ray Lewis book. I'm currently reading Winner Learn. It's by Conor McGregor's coach, John Kavanaugh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a pretty good book. So I, I kind of like kind of just people's stories and coming up and whatnot. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I saw from a previous interview with I think the Orange County Breakers that you're a UFC fan as well. Uh, I mean, what are your thoughts on the McGregor boxing match uh, there with uh, I forgot his name already uh, Mayweather? What do you think about that? <laughs> uh, I mean, I think it's definitely going to be an interesting fight. I mean, the whole world wants to see it, and I think the whole world will tune into it. Um, some people don't give McGregor a shot. I personally do. Hmm. Um, I think if McGregor wins in the first three rounds, it goes farther. Floyd wins. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it is boxing. It is fighting. It only takes one punch. So, I guess we'll see if he can get that one punch or not. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun, and they'll get paid a crap load of money, so that's good for them, too. Uh, did you happen to see the uh, the, the Weidman submission, I think, uh, like a, a couple of days ago? Yeah, I did. I, I saw that. Uh, it's pretty good that he got that submission since he's been on a couple fight losing streaks, had a couple of tough losses. So it's good to see him bounce back. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because he was previous champion and all that. So that's great. Um, obviously, you know, you're a great player. You have a, a fantastic serve. We all aspire to improve our serves because it's one of the, you know, arguably the most important stroke. Uh, what's maybe a, a tip or two you can give us to, to help, uh, us, uh, players who are usually, uh, well, let's say maybe three, five to five oh players improve their serve. Improve your serve. I guess that's a tough one. Um, I guess, uh, I mean, toss is very important. Uh, I think a lot of people don't toss the ball properly, especially at the lower levels. Mm-hmm. Um, it all starts from that. That's the main thing. And I guess just practicing burying your serves. Um, a lot of people get stuck into just being complacent with one serve and sticking to it. Yeah, that, uh, that's great advice. Appreciate that. We all do. Um, and so obviously, you you know, interested in your uh, career and, and what you're doing. So what's your schedule like over the next couple months? Um, I'm going to try to play the rest of the ATPs before the Open if I can. Um, I'm off to Cabo next week or D.C. I haven't decided yet. I'm uh. five out of the D.C. and I'm three out of Cabo. So I'll see where I get in. But if not, I'm going to play the qualifying in Cabo. Okay. And after, I'll either play Aptos or Montreal, the ATP, or in the following week, Vancouver or Cincinnati. So I'd like to play the bigger tournaments, but we'll see if I can sneak into them or not. Cool, cool. Yeah, I really, really, really hope you uh, play at DC because that's uh, kind of that's where I live basically, and I'll be covering the event and stuff. So I did like twenty interviews last year. So hopefully we'll see you. But you know, either way, you know, best of luck, obviously. Um, and uh, Dennis, where can we follow you uh, online? And, you know, on social media. Uh, I have an easy handle for everything. It's just Dennis Novikov for my Instagram and Twitter. So pretty easy to find me. Awesome. Appreciate that. And so uh, I'd love to close with this uh, question. Uh, What's one key piece of advice that you can uh, give uh, uh, our listeners to help improve uh, their tennis games? Uh, I'd say footwork is a big part of tennis. I think if you can improve your footwork, that improves your overall game from your serve to your forehand to your backhand to your volleys. I think everything starts with your feet. Yeah, that's a great, uh, great piece of advice. And, uh, uh, on the previous episode, episode 51, we had a uh, Dave Bailey, who, uh, is a footwork expert. So definitely just listen to that one if you want. But, uh, Dennis, uh, you know, I really appreciate your time. I know you're constantly on the move playing tournaments everywhere and your time's really valuable. So I yeah, really enjoyed uh, having you on the podcast. Hopefully we'll I'll link up again. And I uh, just want to wish you all the best this year. And uh, I know you'll do very well. And, uh, hopefully I'll see you around soon. Yeah, definitely. Thank you. It's been a pleasure having me. Um, and hopefully I'll see you in DC if I get in. Awesome. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks. All right. I hope you all enjoyed my interview with ATP pro Dennis Novikov. Uh, I really appreciate Dennis coming onto the show. And if you'd like to, uh, check out the show notes or any of the links, uh, that we mentioned on the show, you can just go to tennisfiles.com slash 52. That's T-E-N-N-I-S-F-I-L-E-S dot com slash 52 and i've got some exciting news for you guys that you might find kind of cool um so this coming week i'm going to uh do some vlogs some video uh blogs i guess they call it during the city open uh for the past couple years i've been getting a press pass Uh, i've been fortunate enough to be given that and um so i've been covering the event and doing interviews and stuff but i thought 
this year I do something different. And so I'll kind of just, you know, obviously have the interviews in there, but also mix it in with uh, just, you know, some video around the uh, City Open tournament and of players uh, playing and practicing and stuff like that and interactions that I have. And I'll have some really cool music, too, uh, from... Uh, a guy named Bazanji, who is a uh, really a great rapper and has some awesome uh, beats. Uh, so, which you can, I guess you can tell, that's one of my favorite types of music. But um, yeah, uh, so it's gonna be really cool. I'm gonna work hard. Uh, you know, next week I'm going to work too full time, but uh, you know, we'll make it work. Uh, so me and my buddy Victor will help me do the photography and all that. But yeah, uh, yeah, just really appreciate you guys listening to the show. I'd love it if you could subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast, and you can just do that uh, on iTunes, your favorite uh, podcast app. And uh, yeah, I'll wish you all the best. Uh, keep practicing on your game and improving and doing the best you can. Always try to improve in every facet of your life. Uh, that's what it's all about. Um, so I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the tennis. Whoops. Hey, guys. I just wanted to mention one other thing. I really appreciate a review by The Real BD uh, on iTunes. I really, really appreciate it. And he said, uh, Mirban does a terrific job keeping the topics fresh, and he's an extremely polite and engaging host. This is by far the best tennis podcast out there. Go back and start from the beginning and work your way toward, uh, through the podcast, and you'll see here, actually, the learning curve he went through to become a little more comfortable, less stilted, less awkward with his guests. It is actually refreshing to hear someone as genuine and authentic as Mirban Aranchat on his Tennis Files podcast. Thanks for your gifts to the game. Uh, that was just uh, really hit home, uh, the real BD, and I just wanted to give you a shout-out for the really kind... A review that I really appreciate and you know I'm doing my best and I know I can always uh, do better and so I'm trying but thank you so much for that really kind review so all right guys that's it for real take care thanks for listening to the tennis files podcast for more tips to help you improve your tennis game visit tennisfiles.com